everybody our tour dailies it is sunday 15th no 17th 17th, 17th. stage 15 that's stage the 15, 15, 15 that you've got very confusing in your two different numbers uh we're in carcassonne we are we're just down the way from our lovely little airbnb and we've got some spritzes and i'm doing johnny's job no ian's job tonight of setting the scene so Ian, what, what's going on here? Uh, so we're in a narrow kind of pedestrianized street. There's a lot of people around us having a nice meal. And then we just rolled in and plonked ourselves down in the middle of it. And I think I, I would say that we've ruined a lot of people's day. If I was them, I would be upset. I would. I'm upset at us. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like we're, we're remaining somewhat, somewhat quiet. Australian cycling photographer Zach Williams has just walked over. He's quite tall. When he was walking past the other way, I was concerned that he was a member of the EF entourage, such as his white T-shirt and pink shorts. Which scared Ian because the EF entourage (laughs) is currently real pissed at Ian. I wrote about Magnus Court's penis. No, it was... He wrote about that on his Instagram, though. This is what I'm saying. They brought it on themselves. Ian more revealed the fact that uh, just how much the EF family imbibed that night in the hotel, which every cycling team does, but apparently you're not allowed to speak about it. In my defence, the photographers that are employed by EF published photos of the night celebrations, and all I did was just count the bottles that were in the picture. Yeah, but if it's on Instagram already, then it's fair game. I mean, he posted about that a few years ago, and then obviously, because they were happy they had their first win, you know, since I've been over the age of 18, um, you know, JV felt he was happy enough and loose enough to let him post about it. So I think it's fair game, Ian. I don't think you should be getting in trouble for that, Thank personally. You. Thank you. Zach, you're a journalist with integrity. <laughs> and you always have been. One of the very few. <laughs> Our, our particular position this evening means that that will probably not be the last random uh, tour reporter, photographer, person that wanders by, I would say. Uh, in fact, we are maybe 75 meters from the site of one of oh, Mikey yes. Better's worst nights of his life, uh, where... Mikey is here, of course, as well. Where uh, a couple PTSD years ago, it, it was from this night. It, it was Rup, Rupert Guinness and I, and uh, Jim and Erie from Breakthrough Media back in the day. And frankly, we sent we sent Michael Better 17 minutes of completely unusable podcast audio because we already about had about I don't know six liters of wine between us. <laughs> For what it's worth, I was in Colorado editing that podcast. I got that podcast at 5 p.m. <laughs> Yeah, it was a late one. That was a late one. So, so we'll, we're we're you know we're gonna hold it together a bit tighter this tonight. I like how you're complaining about five p.m. Kaylee is an absolute trooper recording podcasts at two a.m. <laughs> but that's my whole point. Is what are you doing recording a podcast at one in the morning? I believe morning. we had a lovely dinner and then we had a bunch of drinks and then we decided that it was time to record a podcast. And lo and behold, it was uh, midnight or so. It the original cycling tips drunk cast. <laughs> Which this isn't. We should be very clear. This is this is not a full-on banter cast. We will have a full-on rest day banter cast for you tomorrow. Today we have actually quite a bit of quite a bit of bike racing to talk about. I mean, we had the the first stage win for Jasper Philipson ever. That was pretty exciting. Uh, we're gonna have a little competitions update 
where everything stands, polka dots and green and everything else. We had Tom Pidcock jumping in a fountain. Worth talking about for sure. And the big one for me, from a sort of overall Tour de France narrative perspective, <laughs> four of seven Jumbo Visma riders fell down today. Uh, and that, that will likely impact, I think, the rest of this bicycle race. And so we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But first and foremost, Johnny, what happened in the bike race today? I will tell you, despite uh, having sort of been signed off work this afternoon and being asleep between kilometer 50 and kilometer five <laughs> to go, um, Jesper Philipson won in a sprint against uh, Wout van Aert and Mads Pedersen, another second place for Wout van Aert. Um, I mean, you guys saw the sprint and it was, uh, you, you said, Kayla, that if one of them had fallen, the other would have got relegated, you thought? Yeah, there was a fair amount of lane changing that goes on in that sprint. And this is sort of an ongoing complaint about sprinting. I don't really know what the solution is. Uh, I don't even know if there needs to be a solution. But generally, sprinters only get relegated when bad things happen, mm -hmm. when there's crashes as a result. But there was, I mean, there, there, was, there was a swing to the right from both Mess Peterson and Jasper Philipson of, of many meters in, in the final. And nobody gets dinged because everybody stayed upright. The bigger thing for me, actually, was, was what Van Aert went for it once again. He finished in, was it second or third? Second. second. So great. Okay, he gets more green jersey points. He's pretty much got that thing wrapped up anyway. What's he doing up there? Because four of his teammates, three of his teammates because he also fell down, Three of his teammates fell down today. They're down to six guys. They're already, they're going to be very hamstrung when we get to the high mountains where basically Sepp Kuss is the only remaining real helper. If I was the director of Yumba Visma, I would be telling Welfanar to stop <laughs> getting around. in sketchy sprints. Maybe, like, maybe after a three-kilometer banner, he was allowed to move himself up because that's when they would be quote-unquote safe. But if, uh, you got, if he got knocked off his bike at 50 meters to go, they're going 65 oh, kilometers an hour, and then yeah. he's out of this bike race. Right? Yeah, and he's, he's needed. If they're going to win this yellow jersey, they need him. He they could have quite him. easily lost the green jersey and lost the Tour de France. Yeah. For Jumbo lost everything. Which, yeah, just seems a bit uh, short-sighted. In addition to the other weird things that, that Wild Art was doing today, like, like getting in the early breakaway. Why on earth was he doing that? Just in case, and just for love of the game, maybe? And I th maybe maybe it's um, to do with the whole the agreement with Jumbo Visma and how they balance Wout van Aert with their GC ambitions is that he is kind of allowed to do whatever he wants as long as he can still do it on the GC days and so far he has been able to quite um, accomplishedly. It feels to me like it's sort of on the edge of um, all falling down. Yeah, like it's 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 just it's just additional risk, right? And. We kind of love to see it from a racing perspective, and we love to see Wout van Aert up the road doing crazy stuff. And you know, even yesterday when everything was kind of kicking off on yesterday's stage, that was kind of started by Wout van Aert going for it, and then Pogacar following him, right? So like, it makes for really interesting racing. And so I'm, I'm sort of loath to actually complain about it. I'm just saying if I was in his director's shoes, I might, I might try to rein that in a little bit because now they have the yellow jersey, they're trying to protect it. Mm. It's a very different place than they were prior. And I'm, I'm just surprised that he's still given such leeway. The other interesting thing is that with the two dropouts today, Primoz Roglic and Stephen, Stephen Kruzweik, uh, that now evens the playing field somewhat. There are now six from UAE versus six for Jumbo Visma. It's a, a much... UAE still has two that are not very oh, healthy. I, I mean, the, the, quality, of six the to four, yeah. quality of the riders is a, a different matter. But, but still, like the, it is, to a certain extent, a numbers game and... 
it's it's now a much more even numbers game as we head into the Pyrenees. Do you think it's uh, so they get they get fined less money next time they miss sign on? Do you think they're playing the long-term financial? I game? think I think actually that's a great point. I <laughs> I think this could uh, this could be a make it or break it moment for them. Mm. And maybe if they just send Sepkus home tomorrow, then they'll be in the yeah a much a much better financial position. I think they're just trying to do the Tour de France on hard mode. They're like they they haven't won it for well they never won it have they as the Umbro Visma. No, obviously not. Um, they're just doing it on hard mode. They're like you know what let's let's really crank it up and see just how difficult we can make it for ourselves. Then we win. It'll be even better. Another interesting thing that happened today at the stage start in, where were we, Rodez, um, was that another couple of COVID positives came through. So Magnus Court from EF uh, dropped out after experiencing COVID symptoms. Um, he wrote a column in the Danish newspaper BT, which was a much less exciting column than his previous column, but he basically said that he'd been feeling sick <laughs> That's for- That's putting it very lightly. <laughs> I mean, the other column was quite stimulating. He said he'd been sick, as in like he said that he'd been sick, feeling not, not slightly sick in the head this no. time. <laughs> um, he'd been feeling unwell for several days and had returned negative COVID tests for a long stretch, but he was feeling pretty rough. Uh, but then finally returned a positive test. So hopefully that uh, hasn't spread to other members of the EF outfit. The other person to have gone home was another tour stage winner this year, Simon Clark. Um, that was discovered in routine testing. So that's two today, but tonight it is the... It's testing night. It's testing night because it's a, a rest day. So there could be more. Get ready the, for The test zero. actually, Mikey, you went and saw the test because you, you wandered back over to the finish today. It was set up right near the press room, right? Yeah, correct. Riders were... they went across the line, finished the stage, rolled by their team bus, and rolled straight into COVID testing, didn't even get off their bikes, and then came back. Stuck some Vaseline up their nose, we're good to go. Did, did, I did, I did see. Did we, did, did we mention this on the podcast previously? I've, the conspiracy uh, we, theory? No, we haven't mentioned the conspiracy theory, but there is a conspiracy theory. Yep. Oh, Johnny. It was, it was debunked, actually, so oh. sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I, the conspiracy theory is that the Vaseline up the nose stops the testing, but I spoke to a Belgian colleague of ours for Het Newsblad, yep. Wim Voss, and he'd already phoned up because anything that Wout Van Aert, Wout Van Aert liked the tweet saying that it works. Yeah, yeah so, sorry, 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 start I've, over. So I've skipped a forward. tweet showed up from... Wout Van Aert had liked a tweet. From... Oh, uh, that, oh, what's his name? Yes, Decker. Was it Decker? Thomas Decker. Yeah. That's right. So Thomas Decker sent a tweet out saying it, all you have to do to, to avoid getting positive on the yes. COVID test is to put Vaseline up your nose. Uh, and then Wout Van Aert liked this tweet. Yes. Sending Belgian Probably media not the best meltdown. Idea. Yeah. And so Wim Voss of Het Newsblad, good guy, good journalist, he must have rang around all of the virologists. You have the, what's the proper word for them, And You were telling me the other day, what are they called? Epidemiologists? Yes, thank you. It's too many syllables for me. Um, so when I turned around to ask him about it, he was like, oh no, I've already checked. Doesn't doesn't actually work. But who knows what they're doing this time. Will we get any positive tests tomorrow? Well, that was the weird thing last time is that we got zero and everyone was, was very confused by it, which is why anytime there is sort of an unexplained thing like that, you end up with, with conspiracy theories. Like everybody's stuck Vaseline up their nose. I will say the last testing, we were at the buses. We were next to the testing. I didn't see a single person stick Vaseline up their nose. It's not your normal uh, pocket companion at the Tour de France. No. Because if you're going straight from the finish line, I think... For most people, you're unlikely to have uh, a little pot of Vaseline. You get those little, you get those little travel ones, though. 
Maybe that's it. You know, the airport, airport friendly ones. Uh, it feels unlikely to me. It feels unlikely. And, and, and given the fact that it was also debunked by actual medical people, I think we can probably put that one to bed. But we did think it was funny. It's fun and to also, talk about. And also, yeah. you have to wonder, did Wavanart know that when he liked that tweet, Defo. He oh, would just send the entirety of Belgian media into a tizzy. I think so. And I think that's how he gets back at the sort of constant prodding and poking that he receives. Just occasionally he'll like something a bit mad. It's a reminder that people have personalities, really, in the in the Tour de France. Like, they're, they're not just peddling Indeed. robots. They have they have interests, like uh, shit-stirring Belgian media. There <laughs> <laughs> are worse hobbies to have. <laughs> it sounds like quite a productive use of time to me. Oh, there's a, a reverse parallel park happening, which is not going well nearby. And moments before, uh, Nico Roach just walked past, uh, just up that street there. Uh, Nico Roach, you may remember from um, Dancing with the Stars Island, where he needed to work on his foxtrot. We're also, also there are, I think they're the big wigs of Bahrain Victoria, so they're definitely staff members of Bahrain Victoria, it's just on the conveniently on the other side of the restaurant so we, our microphones won't stretch far enough for us to ask any sort of hard-hitting questions. On that table is Michele Ferrari. <laughs> that is a joke. <laughs> that was too long a pause between the jokes in. You've really got Looks to qualify kind of them like quickly. It, though. There is a Michele Ferrari lookalike. Yeah. It is not Michele Ferrari. That is grossly defamatory and <laughs> I would like to stress that that is a joke. One of them has also now taken a keen interest in the million point turn that the car next to us was just doing. But they're about to they're about to slam it up the laneway and everything will be <laughs> They actually just traded drivers because the guy outside did not trust the guy inside. I think it was actually a little bit more um, gendered than that uh, because was it, it was a man outside and a woman inside. Oh, and the man I has thought it was taken two dudes. the wheel. That's no. very French. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Women. But they probably speak English. <laughs> it just yeah, but yeah, I just got I just received a look, which is like you will stop talking about us. As now. you should have. I mean, we're 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 live blogging, live blogging, live potting. Somebody parking a car, <laughs> drinking apple. Can yes. we return to the bike race? Yes. Um, anything else to say about Jasper Philipson? I, I mean, I think that everyone was very happy for him. He's been after this for a very long time. I cannot find the stats in front of me right now, but he has like many, many second places, many third places. He has been very, very close many, many times. Finally gets his win. He also had a time early this race where he thought he won and he didn't, if you will recall. He was quite uh, quite good-natured about that one. He was, he, as was Alberto Batial, who passed that baton to him. Good to see him finally win. And we also saw Tade Pogacar, who's uh, an old friend, an old UAE friend, uh, come up and, and give him a hug and douse him with water afterward. Uh, Perrier, I believe. It was yes. a green bottle of something fizzy. Um, the other addition that I would make is that Jesper Phillips and there was an iconic picture from the Champs-Élysées stage <clears throat> Sorry, at last year's tour, where he also finished second, and there was a picture of him nursing a, a what's what's it called? A flute of champagne. I was about to say cup. That that would be disastrous. You're always just watching these bike riders and teams just drinking alcohol in. No, 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 it's no. Like I mean, it was a, it was a beautiful watching. picture gotcha by journalism by the Groovers. <laughs> <laughs> and in Paris, uh, you can do whatever the hell you want. I think. So he'd crossed the line and he was sitting on the gutter with a flute of champagne being consoled by uh, Alperson uh, director and crying. It was it was a very emotional moment. So it's nice to see him get the win. I was happy for him. Last he year he was it. the victim of both the sharing sprinting duty with Temelia and of the Cavendish comeback. So yeah. 
he's put the time in. And he, he you could it. tell he wanted it too. He he came up in sort of the final like what, was four or five hundred meters to go, and he kind of came around. I think it was Wout. Anyway, he came from quite far back. Uh, I can't remember exactly whose wheel he ended up popping onto, but you could just see that he was. He, his team was working for this one. He wanted this one really bad. He had made it over the climbs after Trek put in some pretty serious digs to try to get rid of all the sprinters, and they they got rid of the Stavanger Stallion. They got rid of Caleb Ewan. I think the Stavanger Stallion got rid of himself. <laughs> <laughs> Through pure anger. Pure anger. I would just like to say that this parking job going on next to us appears yeah. to be incredibly difficult. It's also not, it's also quite a big garage that they're reversing into. Oh, so there's, oh, a, there's third a third guy, man a in third there. Third guy. Yeah. We have, a th we have a third driver now. And he's done it with a plum, to be fair to him. He just went right in. This is great. This is great audio, <laughs> audio content, by the way. Um, the Stavanger Stallion, yes, as you mentioned, he did. He had a torrid day uh, in the 40 degrees heat. And I think it might be my favorite moment, my favorite like visual of the Tour de France to date was him yelling at his bike five times. Uh, and then sort of slumping his head down until his helmet was almost touching his stem. Just like, just having a... Having a scream at his bike. I liked that. We're, just gonna have to, we're gonna have to wait a little Afterwards. <laughs> how many? Eight. Yeah. That's a lot. I hope they don't count up to the 24 hour clock. Is that how those things work or not? No. I've almost finished my there story. We there we go. Oh, thank you, Carcass On. I'll go on. Um, and in a post-race uh, post comment posted on the Intermarche Twitter, Alexander Kristoff said the very good thing of, it is so hot, I wish I was in Norway. <laughs> uh, we have podcast royalty coming down the street right now. Oh, we do. Daniel Freebos. Should we grab a quick word? We probably, he doesn't want to. No, he doesn't want to. He doesn't want, he does, he's going to run away. He's running away. He's really running away. <laughs> I don't, bl I don't blame him. No. That was Daniel Free. Uh, he's staying in the Hotel du Pont Vieux and Three he stars. made eye contact. His eyes said, he did the, he do did not raised, ask me to come over on that podcast. He did the raised eyebrows, which says, he hello chaps, into his hotel. leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> which, uh, you know, that's just how the written journalists get treated by the, the TV lot at the Tour de France. Too... I was going to let him plug his book. If he came over, Ugh. but no. Do not buy Daniel Freib's book. Do not buy <laughs> Daniel Freib's truly excllent book about Jan Ulrich. Don't buy it. It's not I've, the best Jan Ulrich book ever. I've heard it's a rubbish ever. story and there's yeah. nothing remotely It's not one of the top two or three cycling books that I've ever read. Um, the other sort of major story of today. Uh, not, I always I struggle with this particular story because I feel like if you're not here, you just don't care that much. Uh, it's hot. And if you are not here, you just don't care that much. You probably are in your air-conditioned home, comfortable, and us complaining about how hot it is, is is not the best, most entertaining use of your time. But it was really, really hot today. And that does affect the bike racing at some point. Uh, I was about to say it affects the cycling tips staff. Oh, no. no. <laughs> it's been 8 o'clock before. I just want to note that uh, that bell appears to be right above our Airbnb. Oh, this is <laughs> good. That is a good spot, Mikey. Um, that's a troubling update. Yes, but yeah, the heat. I mean, the, I think the worst thing that's come of the heat so far is that anyone who follows any of the three of us on Twitter has had to um, 
see a photo of all of us, all four of us, in our uh, sweltering Airbnb with our Chebs out and no tops on. Now, Chebs seems to be a regional term that I had not heard, so I'd like you to explain um, what's happening. Uh, paint, paint the picture, set the scene. Chebs, a.k.a. Mel Frittatas, a.k.a. Um, breasts of the, the menfolk. Yeah, okay. Yeah, four, four topless cycling tips, boys, just sitting yeah. around I've a hot table. I've never seen the worst photo of me in my life, uh, but it accurately portrays the picture <laughs> of the day I've had. I think it was quite uh, responsible journalism, that picture, because it, it, was, it was truthful. Truth in journalism. Bernie, would you, is there anything you'd like to tell the listeners of the Cycling Tips podcast? We've just been talking about all being topless in our Airbnb and taking a really bad photo of it. I have it here. It's right here. <laughs> That's not the bad one. You want to scroll down. See, the other one too. <laughs> what do you, what, what's your comment on that? Have you ever seen anything worse? It's called Le Tour de France. It's, it pretty much happens to everyone once a year. It's like, even the riders are complaining, no air conditioning, so 40 degrees heat. So I fully understand you guys running around naked. I'm happy you guys wear clothes now here in the bar. <laughs> Actually, a quick one, a more serious one. In this heat, how much does it affect you as a rider when it gets up to sort of the 30s to 40s? How much of a difference does it actually make? Oh, it's, it's just a matter of time before you blew. It's just, uh, you is so much easier and the problem is like you just can't you don't know when it's going to come and this is just pacing is everything and it's you can't avoid it it's like literally you try everything but when you talk to the riders it, they try to drink as much as they can it's just pretty much gels and water nothing else anymore that goes into their body and just you just look where you can grab a bottle of water and if it's from a spectator even if it's just a warm one you just grab it you just you don't don't bother anymore whatever you get I remember in Vuelta España one year I grabbed a it was like a sack and I thought it's water or something in there but it was a red wine <laughs> still had a sip <laughs> uh, amazing cheers Bernie thank you very much I see night. that I've just realized that the GCN folks are, are at the other end of this restaurant we did we did warn that there were going to be some passerbys that was that was Bernie Eisel for anybody who didn't recognize the voice Jenna uh, Freeb just made eye contact once again and then ran away he bolted, for a second he? time he bolted <laughs> for a it's easier time. it's easier to get a former pro cyclist on this podcast than one yep. of our colleagues in the press room yep and just to be very clear bernie eisel walked up to this table and the first thing he did before even getting on the podcast was to show us all the photo of me topless in <laughs> in our hotel on his phone which apparently he had already pulled up in preparation for joining this podcast uh, he was mentioning that he was picking up water or red wine from the side of the road. And uh, another iconic moment of today was Tom Scoyan's stuffing 11 bottles down his jersey. Um, luckily, this was this was filmed, so so you can see the speed and grace with which he does it. Just, just slamming them down the back of his jersey. Uh, it's quite impressive, actually. And then some food as well. It was a... It was a Santini was... Uh, he was pushing Santini, their jersey sponsor, to the absolute limit, and it held up. Though it held up, didn't no no busted seams, no busted zippers that we know about. Mikey, you talked to him at the finish line. I did, I did. I talked to him, and I, I was actually the one to tell him about his new uh, internet fame. And he, yeah, he was, got he got he got retweeted by Ryanair, yes. which was fantastic he because did. someone made a joke. It was always oh, um. Cycling out of context, I think, is the account. Pro cycling out of context is the Twitter account, which is, a, frankly, a superb account. Uh, highly entertaining. Go follow it if you're on Twitter. 
Anyway, they made a joke about about I'm gonna not do this justice now. But basically, when you go on Ryanair, you try to put all your clothes on at one time, and that's what it looked like Tom's was doing. And then Ryanair retweeted it, saying um, it was a domestic flight, which is more Tour de France and professional cycling knowledge than I thought that the Twitter admin of Ryanair would ever have. But clearly, I was completely wrong. So kudos to Ryanair's Twitter admin. And then Tom's was I told Tom's about that, and he asked for a uh, he asked for some free flights from Ryanair. So. If Ryanair's listening, maybe hook them up. Does Ryanair have free points? Do they do they do points, or do you have to buy points? <laughs> um, I I think the only thing you can buy is like this this seat on the airplane and like bringing your bag on, and then by that point it's gone from ten pound flight to a normal price flight. There was a few years ago that the the CEO or the owner of the company tried to introduce standing only flights. Um, I don't know it's if like the wider was aware sky. of it. But, no. um, Yes, everyone was going to be standing there like they're on the tube or the <laughs> metro if you're in America, and you'd just be standing there as you like dipped over to Alicante or wherever on an hour and a half. Flight. I I saw another. It might be Ryanair or or another airline, but I'm pretty sure it was Ryanair where there was see, uh, another visualization of how to cram too many people onto a plane, where it was sort of like the person in front was there was a a two level seating where two people would sit in the space of one seat with one person hovering above, like, roughly eye level with the previous person. <laughs> There's, um... Ryanair and EasyJet often compete for um, for being the worst airline. Often in Jan, this is a, t- a slight tangent, uh, but often in January when you're going to fly into Alicante for the pre-season press conferences, you'll be with a lot of British holidaymakers who have their second homes, place in the sun, and often you have to stop fights breaking out on board those flights because the atmosphere is just so sort of toxic and British. <laughs> One thing we've learned about Johnny throughout this entire trip is that he hates his fellow. Brits. You hate the them. least patriotic man. Yeah. Uh, that is the nice thing that you've ever said to me, Intralo. <laughs> I have said a lot of heinous things, though. Johnny, I want to, you know, let's pull this back, pull this back. Uh, competitions update. So where are we at? We haven't spent a whole lot of time talking about the green jersey because it feels kind of like a foregone conclusion. The polka dots, where are we at with these various jerseys right now? We all know the state of the GC and, and, the, and that Tade Pogaccio is in the the white jersey and he will probably win that he's got six and a half minutes on Tom Pidcock I'll start with the more boring well the less interesting ones in the team's classification the Ineos Grenadiers have more than half an hour on Jumbo Visma with Group Armour FDJ closely behind which maybe is a more interesting one Movistar have moved themselves up to sixth but they are an hour and 43 minutes behind so they've got an uphill battle to um, win what I think they have claimed in their Netflix series is the most important one because you get the most riders and people on the podium it's actually quite Paris. lucrative you get 25,000 euro I think yeah. which is more than you get for the um, any of the major classifications yes. apart from the yellow jersey but of course you have to split it eight ways so it's actually not that great and Astana are 15th with 2 hours and 46 minutes so they're not going to turn their fortunes around soon I'm surprised that they're that high up the KOM competition is very close actually I think and the Pyrenees will decide that Simon Geschke Louis Manches and Nielsen Paulus and Jonas Vingegaard all separated by 10 points so Vingegaard will likely take that one I as think. is often the case yeah. he's 10, 10 points ahead of Tadej Pogacar so maybe whoever wins yellow will also win the KOM yeah we just then, got recognized by a definitely English person. But oh, okay. there were there was no uh, bellow of recognition. There was no oi oi geezer. There was no boy howdy. Yeah, so if there's count. no boy howdy, did you even know who we were? There was certainly no g'day mate. 
and then the most interesting one, the one that I've been Sorry. building up to, I know it's boring, right? Uh, the points competition. And the reason it's interesting is because we saw Tade Pogacar, was he sprinting for the intermediate sprint today? He was. Weirdly. And it turns out that he is second in the green jersey competition, trailing, yes, Joshua Robinson, <laughs> trailing 200 points behind Wout Van Aert, but he is six points ahead of Jasper Philipson. So currently, unless Jasper Philipson maybe wins that stage 19 or stage 21, then if Wout Van Aert falls off or can't finish or gets COVID, Tele Pogacar could win the green jersey. Yeah, but also the way Tele Pogacar has been racing, would you be that surprised to see him just pop up in a sprint like late next week? <laughs> Stage 19, just he, for a bit of vengeance. Nah, he's going to yeah. win on the Champs. <laughs> on Champs. <laughs> pull a, he could pull a Vinokurov. If if it's so close as to be 10 seconds and we see Tele Pogacar sprinting on the Champs Elysee and win it, that would Netflix would just sort of have to fall back and just be like, right, we're, we'll, no more programming for the rest of the year. But yeah, in, interesting. I mean, who was the last... Ride it was it to win Mercs? I think Mercs, yeah. That's just yeah. The... There's so many Mercs comparisons. Le Monde, maybe. Ooh, I'd have to check. We're gonna have to do corrections corner this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. and this place <laughs> does not have the Wi-Fi. We do the we do the research after we do the podcast, and it's the best way. Then tomorrow it just takes up some programming time, and then we get to Paris and get to go home. Um, so yeah, that's that was an interesting thing that happened. The rest of but it's quite close, you know, Jesper Philipsen is six points, but then b below that, Mads Pedersen is nearly 30 points behind Pogacar, so it's unlikely that he, or Fabio Jakobsen, who's almost on the same, will make the catch. So Pogacar's looking at top three in the points classification. Which, uh, so we, we used to have this, this argument with Dane Cash all the time, because Dane liked the way that the points jersey was set up, because it it's a points jersey, not a sprint jersey, right? Like people call it yeah. sprint jersey, but it's, it's points. You can apply the points, I guess, wherever you want. But the idea is that it is for sprinters. And so I find it a bit strange, and maybe it's set up a bit wrong, if Tade Pogacar is currently in third. That like the, the, the point structure seems broken, if that is the case. But what it does seem to do with like Peter Sagan and now Wout Van Aert is it seems to reward the riders who are super talented but aren't quite light enough to actually win the yellow jersey. So I think that's quite a nice uh, sort of... Well, or fast enough to win bunch sprints, generally. And that as well, yeah. yeah although Wout Van Aert does that as well. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to be honest, anywhere, any, in my opinion, anywhere Pogacar is on the front of the bike race, there should be no sprint points available whatsoever. Uh, I have managed to secure some Wi-Fi. Um, and the last rider, I believe, to win the green jersey and the GC in the same year, Bernardino in 1979. Seven, so 79, so that would have been early in his reign, too. Yeah. Yeah, his second tour, his second tour win. Uh, just whilst we're people spotting, um, Patrick Lefebvre just walked past, looking crisp. A friend of the podcast? No. Wearing, wearing shorts. <laughs> I've never seen him wear shorts before. It's nice to see some Lefebvre leg. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I would like to point out that though we are currently seeing Patrick Lefebvre's shorts or legs, we're still not seeing Joshua Robinson's legs. Could you run us through your insane uh, pant-related manifesto? It's not a manifesto. Manifesto has a nasty connotation. <laughs> I think um, this is a nasty manifesto. No, I would just say this is a uh, man must have a code. And mine is that I never wear shorts while I'm working. And here I am at the Tour de France working. Therefore, it's a thousand degrees. It's a uh, thousand degrees. After, after working If they can ride 200k in this, 
I can wear pants for two hours. They're not doing it in chinos, mate. <laughs> yes, but the leadership of the Tour de France is. Do you mean ASO? Yeah. Ah, so you followed the Prudhomme, ASO code. Prudhomme, also not a, a big shorts guy. What I love yeah. earlier is that when we were at the start and I was talking to Josh about the heat and he, we were discussing that being hot is just a mindset, which uh, he's actually testing out. And it's something I envy because I'm not man enough to, to try it myself. <laughs> well, you are a man that has uh, been pictured with your entire top off yeah. on the internet today. Yeah, after a nap in the middle of the workday, yeah. <laughs> Tough. For what it's worth, I wore pants on my day trek to Dutch Corner on Alpe d'Huez and I nearly died of heat An stroke. insane move, Mikey. And An you didn't insane. get any credit for that, Mikey, and for that we apologise, yes. Well, <laughs> thank you, Johnny, for the competitions update. The the, the green jersey stuff is it's, it's, it's weird. It's interesting. I like it. Uh, the Like you said, the tightest is polka dots. How tight is it now? Um, it's Simon Gesker's uh, leading uh, with 46 points. Jonas Vingago is in fourth with 36. In between them, it's Louis Meinches and Nielsen Paulus. And then Tadej Pogacar is in ninth with 26. So it's n quite evenly spread. And it that's will a, just be that's a, few a tricky those. one to predict. We, yeah, we have a, and we have a few, at least two summit finishes, HC summit finishes, where you get the big points. Right. So that's, we'll be that's based the thing on that. Is, it's why so often the polka dots are won by whoever wins the race because yeah. those HCs are worth so much. Unless we have a break, or a couple yeah. of breakaways, or again, if it was up to me, I would arrange the points so that cat fours are worth more than HCs. Yeah, so, so it's just it like who willingness, basically like yeah, it's talent. who goes for it. It's not who actually can get up the, the hill fastest. <laughs> I believe yeah. in Thibaut Pinot to just go in a couple of breakaways and is he bring anywhere near the home. top of that classification? I don't care. He has 16 points, so he's only 30 off. How much you get for an HC climb? Do you know? It's like fifteen or twenty, I think. It's yeah, like he could he, if he just took them all in the Pyrenees, he could. Chris Froome has twenty-two points. Oh, that'd be good as well. I bet we see Chris Froome try again in yeah. the Pyrenees. I I honestly do think that he'll 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 go on another break and and he, I, mean, I would love to see him take a stage. I am not the biggest Chris Froome fan in the world. I didn't love his racing style. I didn't love the way that he won his tours. It's hard not to root for him at this point. And, Kayla, you were making an interesting point the other day about how he recovers. And that... Go ahead. I'll let you explain it. Well, I was just saying that, like, the things that... Uh, basically, the injuries that he sustained should have no effect on things like his recovery, which is more... Well, it's more like a cellular level, level right? Like, it's, it's, it's stuff that does not really... It's not affected by your bone structure. And so in theory, if he can still recover like he once was, then he should be getting better and better and better relative to the rest of the peloton as we go through this Tour de France. Now, there are some other pretty key factors in that, like if his sort of threshold power is lower than it used to be because of the injuries, he's working harder than he used to. Like part of the reason why the best bike racers in the world recover so well is because they're actually just not working as hard relative to everybody else the entire time. So there's some other bits like that. But I think that in, in theory... Froome should get better and better as this tour goes on. And, yeah, I think we can see him do, do something special in, in the last week, which would be, like I said, would be great. Do you want a Mayo Sable update? I do. That's of, the final classification that we need to check out. Of which Chris Froome sits fifth, technically. Moved up four places today. But in the lead... Wait, he yeah, moved up this. four places today? Moved up four places in the GCA. He's 29th overall. A I minute and I, five, um, hour, five minutes, 34 seconds down. I, I think I, I'm back and forth 
about whether I understand how this thing works because <laughs> when I was a big uh, Danny Martinez believer, I, I was roasted mercilessly on the Velo Club Slack channel for being a bit of a thicko, which I'm not ruling out. I, I think that that's possible or indeed likely. But how did Chris Froome make time up on the yellow jersey? It's just relative to the other people ahead of him. I don't think he made time up necessarily. I think he he's just moved up four places because other riders have fallen down the. So Danny Martinez station. could do that. Well, yeah, he could but, move but, up, but I he, mean, his no, time no, would still I, get Danny Martinez away. to stress will not do that <laughs> at this point. We have seen him do some terrible things in this bike race in the time he's since I last. He did make the breakaway the other day. Yeah, but, but finished but off the back of it. He's now one minute nineteen, one hour nineteen minutes down. So. If you stay, if you stay the same relative to the old jersey, and people in front of you get worse, get worse, then you get you could get closer to the Masabla walk without you can, dropping. But you can move up positions by other riders yeah. just plummeting and having so I, a bad day. So I okay, this is good. I feel marginally less stupid now. Okay, <laughs> so where are we at? So where we're at in twenty fifth with a time of one hour and five seconds, just sneaking in. Wow is UAE That's Team Emirates and America's Brandon McNulty. Congrats, Brandon. I don't uh, feel he'd be someone perceptive to the Maya Sablo. He might. Do you think? He might. I'll text him. Oh, there we go then. Yeah. Maybe I'll that explain. could be our first interaction heading into the third week with a rider who's in the Maya Sablo. That could be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> could be. Let's hope it is. <laughs> Otherwise, we're just wasting ours and everyone else's time talking about this competition. I bet he'd be receptive. I'll shoot him a text. We'll see. We'll see if he's uh, if he's down for a chat tomorrow. We got a rest day tomorrow. I was going to try to catch up with him anyway. So, and the fun thing about it being a rest day tomorrow is that we are going to go a little bit off piste with our commentary because well, we have a banter cast. We have a banter cast, yeah. but there's another very important thing that happened today. Probably, I I would say the the most important thing that happened today was that we spent about an hour this morning just running around taking pictures of uh, the caravan. <laughs> A publicity caravan. It's it's just a big parade every day. It's, it's a big parade full of insane people. Yep. <laughs> Mikey was into it. Mikey, every single Mikey time it would start thumping, yeah. he was just dancing in Mikey the street. Mikey found the place that he's always meant to be. <laughs> and uh, you can so see. So we're gonna stick a, him in a float for what? Yeah. The oh yeah. I need to give you the email. Yeah. Yeah. Mikey, would you like to talk about your? Well, you saw the caravan. Now he's shaking his head. He's gonna save it for the the true experience. Yeah, so the, the, we'll chat more about the caravan tomorrow. We're going we're gonna to bring you not inside, but very close to next to the caravan tomorrow in tomorrow's episode. We made some friends. We made some in friends. In the caravan, and we, we watched other people make closer friends with each other. And I got hit in the face with a keychain and some other great stuff. Mikey, I think, has an Achilles heel injury after an Asterix magazine went into it. <laughs> Mike, Mikey also, for the first time his Tour de France, was remiss that he doesn't speak French. <laughs> Hey, my hair got complimented. It did. It did. The ladies of the caravan are Mikey fans. For those who don't know, my hair is purple <laughs> and green. Anyway, you have that to look forward to tomorrow. After a rest day in Carcassonne, the Tour de France continues on Tuesday, which stage 16 to Foix in the Pyrenees. So courtesy of geotdf.com, some really old history for now. It involves dinosaurs, and since I am a big Jurassic Park fan, this is right up my alley. The precursors of what we now call the Pyrenees already started to form at the end of the era of the dinosaurs, so at the end of the Cretaceous, 60-70 million years ago. 
the sea level was a lot higher than today because there was no ice on the poles. And as a result, much of Europe was covered in shallow tropical seas. The islands that rose up from these seas became the territory of plenty of dinosaurs. And when the Pyrenees started to be pushed up, rivers dumped thick packages of sandy and muddy sediments, and sometimes a dinosaur bone or even an entire skeleton became covered by these sediments. Not far south of Limoux, about 20 kilometers into the stage, countless remains of dinosaurs have been recovered. One species has even been named after the vineyards that now grow there, the Titanosaur Ampelosaurus. It's a middle large long-necked dinosaur that wore a special jacket of armour plates and that is well known from the excavation at Capargne sur Aude. The literal translation of Ampelosaurus is the vineyard saw. These fossils can now be visited in the Dinosaur Museum of Esperanza. Finally, don't miss the magnificent helicopter shots this Tuesday of the Montségur Castle. It was one of the last strongholds of the Cathars. Who were they again? Well, the Cathars. In church history, in addition to the official teachings of the church, alternative views regularly emerged, sometimes in detail, sometimes with more important differences. In the course of the 12th century, the followers of such an alternative teaching grew into larger communities, especially in the southwest of France. And there they received protection from regional rulers for several reasons. And sometimes these rulers also converted to the religions themselves. And later, this movement became known as Catharism. At the beginning of the 13th century, the Pope wanted to put an end to this heretical teaching and called for a crusade. After two of these bloody campaigns led by the French king against the Cathars and their protectors, the adherents of this religion had been pushed back all the way to the edge of the rugged Pyrenees. One of the most important places where the Cathars had retreated was Montségur. They had a rich and large settlement there, where there was plenty of living and trading. In total, the almost impregnable fortress was besieged four times, starting in 1212, but it was only in 1243 that a siege turned out to be successful. It was at Christmas, and a group of about 6,000 besiegers climbed up and seized a watchtower that stood on the hill at the far end of the plateau. And there, they were finally able to install their tribuship, which then started launching stone bullets towards the fortifications of the village. About a month later, holes appeared in the defences and the inhabitants could do little more than surrender. It was on March the 1st in 1244 that the leader of the defending troops, Pierre-Roger de Mirepoix, negotiated with the attackers and negotiated that the lives of the soldiers and non-Cathars should be spared. And this also applied to the Cathars who would give up their faith. The Cathars who did not would have two weeks to prepare for their death. On March the 16th, a funeral pyre was erected on which 220 Cathars were put to death. The fortifications and the entire village were raised to the ground, ending a once thriving community. Uh, today's ad is brought to you by Carcassonne. Mm. It's hot here. Hmm, retains the heat. Hmm. 
I think it's I, I like it's now it's evening now it's eight twenty four we have a we have a dinner date with some of our other English language. Oh, can we please uh, talk about the insane thing that we're about to do for dinner? What are we gonna do? Oh yeah, we're gonna Can go have cassoulet. Could you run the listeners through what cassoulet brings to the table? Cassoulet is a very hot pot of like beans and tomatoes and sausage and other things, and it is a it's a regional specialty down here. Even though Mikey tried to order it in the Alps, which was a mistake, it's a regional specialty down here, and it's delicious. And we're gonna go have some, even though it's warm out. But how do you how do you reconcile the fact that? It is the hottest day that we have experienced this year with the fact that you are about to eat molten duck. I feel like not enough is being made about how slow cooked this casserole dish is. Yes. It just sits on a flame for a very long time until the meat basically falls apart. It's mostly pork and white beans, which are essential to this recipe. Uh, and it's, it's basically medieval food. It's delicious. Which, you know, is not a it billion It warms degrees. you from the inside so that you start sweating and the sweat actually cools you, Ian. Ah, evaporative cooling. Yes. I've heard of it. It's a system designed for evaporative cooling. But I I also fundamentally don't think that... Yes, famously why cassoulet is eaten in the desert. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that fundamentally I disagree with uh, putting something that is 100 degrees into a body that is 38 degrees in temperature that is 41 degrees. (laughs) Well, unfortunately for you, this is not optional, and we have to go meet up with our colleagues now. So, thank you to everybody for, well, for joining us for the first two weeks of the Tour de France. We've got one week left. We've got a banter cast tomorrow. We've got a whole list of things we want to talk about that are vaguely bike racing related. Uh, So we'll be back. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode of the Tour Daily from Cycling Tips Podcast. Bye-bye.